to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Welcome to FICP's webinar and podcast series, FICP Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Today, I will be having a conversation with our own Roberto Pistolesi of Dragotti & Associati in Milan, who is Secretary General of FICPI. Roberto has interesting insights on intellectual property and more particularly patents as it relates to golf equipment. Hi, Roberto. How are you? Hello, Jean-Louis-Pierre. Uh, uh, very, very well. Thanks. Uh, Great. We're delighted to have you with us today, and we're going to talk about golf. And can you explain to us a little bit why you chose the topic of golf to explore IP issues? <laughs> Actually, because I was bored about speaking of chemistry all the time, and I wanted to speak about something different. And so I tried to find something which could be interesting uh, also for me and not just for the audience. And uh, I hope it is interesting for the audience. But since I like playing golf, then uh, I realized that actually there are many, many patterns in uh, the golf area. And so I thought that it could be a, an interesting topic. And in fact, your slide that we're showing on the screen now does say that golf is apparently the number one sports for patents. Yes, it is. It's actually the sport uh, with the higher number of, uh, of patents uh, in, uh, in total. About, about twice as uh, many other sports taken together, like skiing, tennis, uh, football, uh, and so on. Uh, it's interesting. The, 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 the closest one is uh, baseball, which has more or less the half of patents, I think. The half is altogether. I'm a little amazed because for, for sports that are probably not considered to be very technologically advanced, both golf and baseball, it's amazing that there's a considerable number of IP issues that arise. So why don't you start with your with your presentation, and I'll interrupt every once in a while. Yeah. Okay. Let's start. Actually, let's start with Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Actually, probably many of you know him just like uh, a rock star, but actually he's also a very good uh, golf player. Normally, when I start my presentation, is I always start with a playbill of a movie. Uh, I decided uh, to start with this book, which was written by Alice Cooper himself. And it's interesting because basically golf saved his life. As many rock stars, he was a drug and alcohol addict, and uh, he received advice from his doctor to spend some time actually as more as, as much as possible out of his house and so he decided to try playing golf and actually he's now handicap four and uh, he has been sponsored for several years by one of the main brands that we will speak about later and it's this is, it's really very interesting to see how how golf which for some people is considered to be a very frustrating game to play but how in some cases it can lead to well salvation in alice cooper's name and so so, you know, I'm sure that throughout the conversation, we're, we're going to 
go into some of these nuggets of insights you may have well, to share. Probably he, he had other type of frustrations and <laughs> golf was relaxing for him. And, but for many other people, he may be, it may be very frustrating, uh, this type of, of sport. But just to give you some, some numbers, uh, actually more than 22,000 patent applications uh, have been filed with the USPTO in the last 40 years. And not just the utility patents, but also design. A big number is, of course, uh, directed to, to clubs. It's also interesting to see that about 25% of patents in, the, in 2006 covered some type of uh, optical or laser-based device, so not just clubs. And uh, most of these patents are owned by five big brands. One is Akushnet, which is more known as Titlist or Food Joys for Apparel. Callaway, which is the brand that sponsored uh, Alice Cooper. Cobra, which is the golf brand of Puma. And then Ping and TaylorMade. They own uh, the, the, the large majority of patents. And they invest a lot of money in, uh, in research. Actually, Callaway spends tens of millions of United States dollars in, uh, on research and design every year. And they have more than one 1,200 US patents, and they file about 100 applications per year. Ping has about 1,000 US patents, and 43% of them are design patents. Okay. Well, what I think is interesting is the number of patents that cover a golf club or a ball. For instance, the M6 uh, driver, which is one of the probably the most famous driver made by TaylorMade, is covered by at least 98 US patents. These are all information that I picked up from their websites. A single club is covered by 98 different patents. Yes. That's amazing. I mean, we're, yes. we're, we're, we're getting into like telephone headset territory here in terms of exactly. the number of patents. Well, but it, it, what, what is even more strange is the number of patents covering the balls because uh, the club uh, is larger. It has many, many apparently technical aspects, but the ball is one small and round. And actually the, the Pro V1X, which is probably the most expensive golf ball made by Akushnet, namely Titlist, is covered by 68 US patents. And in this case, basically, there are no design patents. There can be design patents for the driver, but I don't think for, for the ball. I mean, they, they look all the same. It's, yeah, it's probably a little complicated to, to get a design patent on a ball. Although even in, in, in the, the shape and the size of the dimples probably yeah. has a technical effect. So you wouldn't be able to get a design on. Wow. 68 patents. And you said, so, so you said the, the Pro V1X? Is yeah, the, the most expensive ball. Yeah. How much are we talking about? Uh, it, it really depends on whether you're buying, how many of them you're buying, because they are sold in uh, either three or 12 or 15. I, I think it can go from uh, $6 to $10 a ball. So for someone like me who loses quite a few balls during a, a round of golf, and I'm just talking about a nine hole, not an 18 hole, that's probably not a good investment for, for a player no, like me. but right? uh, we will see when we arrive at the end of the presentation that there are solutions for you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right, let's go. <laughs> and uh, it's also interesting to see what happened to Nike because Nike actually was one of the other bigger brand. Uh, it owned uh, 1,237 US patents related to golf. And as probably most of you know, that they were sponsoring Tiger Wood. But then they had the three straight year of uh, declining golf revenues starting from uh, 2014. And it's amazing to see that 2013 is the year in which Tiger Wood 
won his last tournament before uh, having uh, problems uh, with his game, uh, with his body, with his former wife and so on. And so once the revenue decreasing, decreasing and decreasing, Nike decided to sell all their patents concerning golf, drop golf completely. And they now they're just selling footwear and apparel. And uh, most of their patents were sold to, to Ping. So from a, a casual observer's point of view, this transaction from Nike to Ping, do you believe that it placed Ping in a better situation from an IP perspective? Or did uh, Callaway and Akushnet and the other companies maintain their positions in the market? I think that they maintained their position in the market. I, I, I have not seen dramatic changes changes in, uh, in ping, okay. frankly speaking, but uh, I think it's just uh, an observation from outside. Yeah. And this is, this is purely editorial. This got no scientific basis behind no, I, it. I, 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 absolutely. Two people talking about golf yeah. around the a Don't take it as a legal advice. But what is uh, interesting is that normally big manufacturers uh, usually honor competitors' uh, patents and and trademarks. There are not many litigations between uh, IP rights owner in the battlefield uh, known. Actually, I found uh, only two of them, and they both related to to, to golf balls. One was between uh, Akushnet, namely Titleist and Callaway in 2007, which was settled. And the other one uh, was between, again, Akushnet. Kushnet and Costco, which is a, a chain of shops that manufactured their own balls, so that are similar to Pro V1, and I sold it at uh, 80% less than the cost of the Pro V1. And uh, but again, they they settled. The, the, the main threats for the for the for the golf industry come from a fake equipment sold over the internet. They are not litigating much. And that I think is a, is an interesting conversation to have, and maybe we can think of a, a webinar on that for next season, but certainly counterfeit goods and fake equipment, uh, whether it relates to to golf or luxury goods um, or other products like that is certainly a, an endemic problem in the industry and, and should be preoccupying a lot of the IP holders. Yeah, absolutely. For next year. For next year. <laughs> And now we can uh, we can move to to, to some images. A uh, large part of this uh, webinar is dedicated to to images. I have collected a number of interesting uh, patents and patent application uh, about golf, of course. Uh, and uh, this is uh, probably the the most interesting. Actually, are the older. And this is uh, as far as I've found that the first patent application related to golf, it goes back to 1891. And uh, it's quite interesting because uh, uh, it covers uh, a club where the, the socket or shank is placed behind the blade, as you can see from here. The purpose was to prevent players from uh, doing what we call the socket or shank when you hit the ball in the wrong way and rather than going straight it goes 90 degrees to to the right and this was a problem that was uh, already very common in 1891 uh, but apparently it was not solved by this invention now I will have with me some clubs nowadays they are all made with the shank and the socket in front of the blade and not behind as as it was uh, in uh, in this patent application uh, so 
probably the, the, the invention was, was not good, but it is interesting, in my opinion, that the problem that most of players still have uh, nowadays, it was the problem that they had about 200 years ago, and it is the mistake that I did last Sunday in the, in the last hole of my competition. So that leads me to observe that you know the, this problem of, of shanking the ball has nothing to do really with the club. It's got everything to do with the player. Yes, absolutely. You need to learn how to play. That's the problem. No <laughs> matter how much you spend on clubs, but you need to learn how to play. And over a hundred years of innovation, no manufacturer of a golf club has been able to settle no. this issue. So I think, can we put it to rest that this is not a club issue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. It's a mind issue. <laughs> <laughs> more than else this is another very old patent application and it's it relates to a device for counting points and this is probably my favorite patent application it relates and i i will show you the picture later because once you see the picture you will discover everything but it's uh, it's a device uh, for training uh, to play golf in, in the garden of your house without killing people, killing animals, breaking windows, and so on. And this is the invention. Ball with a parachute <laughs> in 1894. Now, you know, in, in all fairness, Roberto and I had a conversation before today to, to sort of talk about. I went back and I did some searching, and this patent relates to a attaching a clearly a parachute to the ball when you're hitting it so it doesn't go, you know, 300 yards out. There's actually another patent application I saw, which is related to the same thing, but for the T. And so they they packaged a little parachute into the T so that when you're when you're driving your ball, you can find your tee. Imagine. Yeah. Normally, if if the shot is good, the tee should be behind you. But, okay. I've, but I've never been able it to. It goes that. everywhere. <laughs> that is the reality. And for me, that I am colorblind, I also have additional problems in finding the tee. And this is another interesting patent application. Actually, this is still used nowadays because the the, the invention to the blade it relates to the form of the blade in order to give the ball a spin so that it stops on the green and actually the the the, the solution is that the blade at the bottom is larger than at the top and actually this is what is still done nowadays and you will see that here the bottom of the blade is larger than the top. So this was apparently a good invention. It solved the technical problem. And so it deserved to be patented, but after about 200 years, it's still used in modern clubs. That's very interesting to see how, how you know, a hundred year old invention is still being practiced today, essentially, because that's just one of the best ways to make a, a golf club to yeah. assist the players. But probably this gentleman who, in, who made this invention actually knew about golf probably more than the other inventors because, as you can see, they were based in Union Street in St. Andrews, which is exactly 11 minutes walking distance from the most famous golf course in the world. They probably had a little bit of inside knowledge. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And this is another curious invention. The inventor is James Colin Montgomery. I don't know whether he is somehow related to the modern, most famous uh, golf champion from Scotland. And uh, his invention relates to, uh, to a putter, a putter having a, a roller attached uh, 
at the bottom in order to prevent uh, the, the, the club being stopped when hitting the, the ground. This is, these are the images. Actually, I've never seen a putter like this in my life. Probably the, the, the problem has been solved simply by cutting the, the grass properly, and this is no longer necessary. But uh, you can see how really people thought about problems, thought about how to solve this problem, and they, they tried in, in, in the most strange ways to, to find a solution. And the other interesting thing, and that probably relates to the historical development of the game of golf, is that most of the, or all of the patents that we've discussed up until now are, are UK patents. And so, yeah. again, it is probably a, an explanation of why the golf game or equipment really developed there. Absolutely. We, we will arrive, I think, now to the first US patent about, no, not yet. This is a, still a UK patent, and uh, it is uh, for something which is still used nowadays because this is a tee which is uh, used to play in winter. So it's not a tee that you plug into the ground, but it's a rubber tee which you don't have to plug into the, um, into the ground. In, in winter, the ground is frozen. It's difficult to, to do it. And so they invented these uh, rubber tees which are still used nowadays in winter. So when you, said, when you said winter, of course, being North American, my conception of winter is frozen ground at about you know, a meter of snow on the ground. So I I couldn't really see how this tea would be useful, <laughs> well, but, in, but I imagine this is for, for countries where the ground freezes, but you don't have snow on top of it, right? Exactly. In Italy, we can play in, uh, in December and January. Well, Sometimes we have some snow, but uh, normally we don't, but the ground is frozen and it's, uh, it's a different sport because the, goal, the ball goes very, very far. If I can do 200 meters with a, with a driver, I can do 250, 260 in winter. But you have to be very careful because when the ball is the green, then it goes <laughs> <laughs> far away. So, so you have to, to hit the ball in a way that it stops, it, it, it arrives before the green. It's a different sport. And, and so you're, you're just confirming something to, to my you know, novice ears that in some countries like Italy, you can actually play golf all year round. Exactly. Absolutely. In fact, we have many, many people, for instance, coming from uh, Northern Europe, Sweden, uh, Denmark, but even Germany, coming in Italy to play when there it's too cold. This is another patent uh, to make holes for the, for the flag in the green. And this is the first United States patent that I was able to find. And uh, again, it is something that I have never seen in my life. It's... Uh, a club to to get out of sand trap or of the rough, but uh, with a with a long shot. And the technical solution is to use uh, a blade uh, with two different planes. One uh, with more loft here, just to get out of the of the sand or of the rough, and then the more vertical blade to give distance to the ball. Now, so this. In my, you know, very faint mechanical engineering background, this would essentially mean that you're hitting the ball twice in the same shot. Yes, which in principle was not allowed until a few years ago. So probably this is the reason why it didn't really was very successful as yeah. an invention because two shots is allowed since the last change of the regulation, which happened two years ago, as far as I know. Well, well. So do you think that we're going to start seeing blades like this in, in tournaments? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting question. I don't really think so. 
I mean, it's at, at the end, uh, you have to learn to play golf and you have to learn <laughs> how to get out of the sand trap or of the rough with your skills. It's got, again, it's got nothing to do with the club. It's all about the player. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, you have 14 clubs in your bag and they are all different from each other, but they solve technical problems in different ways. And this, let, let's now arrive at something more modern. Now we are in 1959, and this is the first patent application covering the, the famous putter called, known as Answer and made by Ping. And this is still used and, and sold with the same brand name. So apparently this was a good invention. And this is again, the first patent application covering the first, because uh, I think that the Big Berta, the driver Big Berta is covered by 40 or 50 different patents, but this is the first one. Now it has expired, but it is something more modern. And this is an interesting invention because I thought it was an old invention which covered this solution, but this is the first patent covering the soft spikes namely the spikes that you attach to your shoes to replace those made in metal, which are no longer used. And actually it's something that I have always seen, probably because I started playing golf only 10 years ago, but, and I could not imagine that I, it was the first patent application for the soft spikes was fired only in 1992. That is a little surprising. I, when I looked at those dates, I, I thought, mm, that's, that's very strange, but memory is a curious thing. And, and it's, it's probably just, that's the way it is. And, uh, and we're just used to playing with soft spikes that we never thought about metal spikes before. Exactly. There is a lot to learn. And now we arrive at modern time. As uh, I said at the beginning, uh, about 25% of uh, golf-related applications filed in 2006 covered uh, laser or optical-based devices. And this is uh, the first golf training devices, which was patented. And this is what uh, all golf instructor have, or at least most of them. And this gives you the direction of the ball, the speed, the angle of the ball, the angle of the blade, which is even more important because depending on how the blade arrives on the ball, then the ball will go in a way or in, in the other. And this right. is actually an, an interesting invention, I would say. And uh, it's something that uh, you see everywhere in in all golf clubs. And that's very interesting. Again, the, the, the date of this one, 2004, I would have thought that training devices incorporating these kinds of uh, sensors or data probably would have been developed earlier than that, but it appears not. I also had the same, the same impression, but... Uh, there it is. <laughs> there it is, exactly. And this is very fun. This is a really... First, as I said, uh, there is a solution for you. This is one of the solutions. If you lose many balls, <laughs> these are glass that should help you in finding the balls. Unfortunately, it was not patented. The search report was very bad and they never entered the national phase. And this is the last uh, slide. And this is the, the other solution for you is uh, a smart, smart ball, a ball with a, with a microchip, which allow you not only to find the ball, but also to, to record uh, all information in your smartphone, like the speed, uh, the distance, uh, the angle. So it's not just useful to, to find the ball, but also to learn how to play probably. And, and this is another, I think, uh, important issue to be discussed because uh, 
when we when I explained that the, the only too big litigation relates to, to golf balls and uh, we discussed about the cost of golf golf balls and, and, and so on. Uh, actually, do you have an idea of how many golf balls Akushnet is manufacturing every day? Yeah, you know, I'm I know gonna you know. <laughs> I'm gonna ask the question for the benefit of our users, but I mean I, I invite everyone to sit down and tie their seatbelts because it's just un- unbelievable. So Titlist is manufacturing one million balls every day every day every day and uh, the provi one uh, are 400,000 each week of course this number includes also training balls everything not old balls but 1 million golf balls manufactured every day only by one of the the, the of the golf brands is really a, a huge uh, huge number and they are not recyclable. If you're making a million balls a day, even if you're just making these balls, what, 200 days out of the year, you know, it, it's still 200 million balls per year per, yeah, 200 million balls per year that are being made. They've got to end up somewhere and they're not, I mean, they're ending up in lakes and, and the rough and, and other places like that. There, there is a significant environmental impact to, to these because you're, you're right, they're not recyclable. So, so the smart balls maybe are one way to attenuate that issue. Of course, the cost would increase, and 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 of course, the other re, the other thing that I read is that the these smart balls apparently they are tournament approved, so you can you would be able to use those balls. No, they the are problem, not. They are not tournament approved. They are, but you cannot use the information during the tournament. In other words, you can use the balls, track all of the information, but you can only have access to that information after the game. Oh, so. Sir. You're, you're not well, advanced. You, you, you cannot, you can, you, you, and you cannot use it to find your ball because nope. otherwise uh, you would have an advantage respect to the other players. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, this is very interesting because, and I think what we've seen in the course or in the arc of your presentation is that the original patents were directed to some of the more mechanical aspects of the, of the clubs themselves. There was a period probably where we looked a little bit more at the the construction of the ball, the method for making the ball, the components, the which seems to be a natural evolution for many different areas, is that we're entering into the 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 IoT aspect of the sport, which is embedding sensors and telecommunications devices within the the equipment itself to provide enhanced information. Now, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the technology is probably ahead the rules of playing the game, and the rules are going to have to to catch up a little bit to this new technology to make sure that everyone's more or less on the same footing. Yes, I definitely agree. And uh, I think that also from the environmental point of view, it will be at the end uh, a, a good solution. Although I think that uh, the, the big ball manufacturers would not be so, so happy. <laughs> that is the other problem. But uh, yes, I think that, uh, that, that that is the direction. And, and that is, I think, uh, some of the comments that we're seeing in the chat that they're, they're probably, you know, given this generally globally, we're talking about environmental issues and sustainability. I don't think any area of activity is being spared from this initiative. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, you know, we're certainly from the ball construction point of view, I think manufacturers are probably going to be pushed, if not encouraged, to start looking at these, at these issues because there is a huge environmental impact. I mean, this is, it's all, it's all fossil fuel, fuel plastics, right, mostly? Polyurethane. Polyurethane. Most most of them, yeah. But uh, if you look on the internet, there are 
actually many, many blogs uh, about how to recycle golf balls and what you can do with golf balls, but they are not they are not biodegradable. That, that's no. the problem. There are many things actually you can do with them, but the problem remains. Such as? This is, uh, again, a device for uh, improving swing. What is interesting is that this patent application was rejected under one of, one of uh, 101's since claiming an abstract idea. And uh, maybe you know that FICP is working a lot to have this, this article of the law changed. Maybe the patent would have been granted after our intervention. Who knows? Yes. Well, that goes back to the discussion we had with uh, Judge Michel a few weeks <laughs> ago about his reform for or his intention of reforming 101 patent law in the United States. Certainly, it's had an impact on, on golf, but it's ha having an impact on a lot of different other areas. Yeah, probably he was not thinking about golf, but... Probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with you. Right. So now we've talked about you know, all of the IP that surrounds golf, golf clubs and golf balls. And I'm sure there's, there's IP that covers the golf bags and the golf carts themselves and the batteries and, and everything else. But why do you think golf is attracting so much interest from an, an IP point of view? And you've got a few points here on the yeah, slide. But I, let's I, go have a, I have a few points uh, just uh, that came up to my mind. Well, first of all, uh, uh, golf is uh, getting more and more popular, but we, this does not justify the fact that they started to file patent application in, in 1891. Uh, nevertheless, it is very popular. For instance, the Ryder Cup is the third most watched TV event worldwide after the World Cup of uh, Soccer and after the Olympic Games. The equipment is more expensive than in many other sports. It's probably worth investing on patents covering uh, expensive equipment than on not expensive equipment. The competition is uh, against yourself, maybe uh, an argument uh, in the sense that uh, in other sports, uh, it doesn't really matter if you're playing well. What matters is that the other one plays worse than you. <laughs> uh, as I told you, it was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good tennis player. I could make some some money with with, uh, with tennis when I was uh, younger, but I I was not good from a technical point of view. I was a very perfect and mean player, so I was able to play in a way that induced the other one to play worse than me, even if he was much better. And you cannot do this with golf. You have to play better by yourself, either based on your skills or based on your clubs, your balls, whatever. So can make the difference. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, the variety of different sports that are playable out there, there's probably a, a case to be made that for a for a beginning or for a beginning beginner or an intermediate player, um, it probably makes sense to invest in higher quality equipment, at least for the golf clubs, because that's going to help you a little bit better during your game. Whereas investing in really expensive balls probably is not going to help you all that much at the uh, beginning. I, 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 I would not invest in expensive balls at all. I would invest in used equipment at the beginning rather than in uh, uh, high-tech equipment because the first point is to understand whether you like the game. And if you don't like the game and you have spent 4,000 euros uh, in, uh, in equipment, uh, it's not worth. And you can right. find, uh, as you can find used balls, you can find uh, very easily used equipments. Then depending on, uh, on your level, 
there are clubs for you. There are clubs, drivers, and equipment for, for any level. So I think that it is important to invest on the type of equipment which fits the quality of your game and can give you the possibility to improve. But I wouldn't go directly to the to the top of, of the line because uh, it would not solve your, you, you wouldn't, you're not going to improve and you're not going to learn. On the slide, there's a few other points as to why IP is so, so important in, in golf clubs. And we only have a, a few minutes to go. So before we go into some of those last points, I do want to thank uh, one of the commenters, uh, Jeff Wilson, who located a US patent that dates back to 1899 directed to a wooden golf Tea. So clearly golf was a preoccupation, not only in the UK, but also in the United States at the time. Thank um, you. <laughs> and, uh, and, also a shout, me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and also a, sh a shout out to uh, Michael Klein, two comments, one opining that they're actually design patents covering the, the dimple patterns. And that that's probably true. And when we were talking about the, uh, the golf club that would hit the ball twice um, suggests that it may not conform to the to the USGA or RNA rules of golf, and I think you probably know what those acronyms mean. I don't. <laughs> yes, but but again, uh, probably now it does because the, the rules have changed two years ago, as far as I know. But it's not a it's not really a big. So we'll we'll follow it up. Yeah, we'll follow it up. Uh, absolutely. Now the other reason is that uh, about investing about why the the brands invest so much in patent is that actually you play you, you have 14 clubs with you when you're playing and each club has a different scope it's not just like in tennis when you only have one racket and you may have three rackets but uh, they are identical because you they yeah. have to 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 fulfill the, the same uh, the same scope and uh, the, the balls as i've said are very important because the ball can make the difference in my opinion if your level of game is high because uh, contrary to what happens in tennis for instance where also the other party plays with the same ball you are using in golf you are using your own ball and the other does don't and so the ball can make the difference but uh, you must be i think a good player to 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 feel the difference i don't Roberto, thank you very, very much for this brilliant presentation. Very entertaining, very, uh, very educational as well, because I, I learned things that I didn't know about <laughs> IP and, and golf. And, um, and so I would, uh, I would uh, invite everyone to uh, share the, the podcast when it becomes available with everyone. As I said, this is the end of our webinar series, the Thickby 45, Focus 45 for uh, this season or this year. Um, we are looking at doing uh, a similar series next year at FICPI, and so I would invite you to follow FICPI, uh, uh, the website and LinkedIn and the uh, other social media pages. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to thank uh, our, our guest today, Roberto Pistolesi. Thank you very much for being with us, and uh, I look forward to seeing every one of you uh, in person at some point. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.